I'm directed this morning to the book of Exodus, the third chapter. And I'll begin reading at verse 1. Exodus chapter 3 and verse 1. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. The word of the Lord this morning comes to us from the third chapter of Exodus. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see the great, this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw nigh thither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thy standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. It is my intention to begin preaching today and moving forward as God would allow me. Under this theme, which I'm going to entitle Divine Encounters, for when I read through the Word of God, I find that any man or woman of significance in Scripture that we look to for example actually had a divine encounter that they could clearly mark and know they had a divine encounter with God that forever changed the course of their life. You read many of them, their name literally changed after they encountered God. Many of you in this place have shared the testimony of your conversion with me. I stood in this sanctuary and listened to your stories of how you stood in an altar or sat on a pew, or prayed in a home. When the Holy Ghost descended on you, and your experience was so deep and so spiritual that you were forever marked for the rest of your life. Some of you stayed long after a service ended, continuing to pray in an altar, caring little about what other people thought. Because when God's Spirit descended on you, it changed everything in you. And with God's help today, I'm going to preach from something that I feel on my heart. I'm going to preach about the burning bush. Would you just turn to your neighbor and tell him God has something for you. Amen. The Lord bless you. You may be seated in his presence. Look at that neighbor again and say, it's a divine encounter. 
marking the third chapter of the book of Exodus, but then turning to the New Testament, the seventh chapter of the book of Acts. I thought it was so significant that Moses' story be told because whether or not you realize it, Moses is mentioned more in scripture than Abraham, Abram. He is mentioned more than so many of the patriarchs, and yet we can quickly slip past his life, not seeing the significance of what was accomplished in his life. I don't entitle this the story of Moses because I'm not planning to tell his story today. I do not believe that his story could be told if it was not for this particular instance. This instance in chapter 3 in which Moses had a divine, a supernatural encounter with God. It's significant because New Testament writers begin to pen the story. And in fact, Stephen, before his death, he told the story to those who would in just moments stone him as he said his final prayer. And up out of his spirit came what he would have learned through the reciting of history and the learning of the law of that time, the story of Moses. And I picked the story up and just lift for you several verses in your hearing. Declared in verse 20 of chapter 7 of Acts, that in which time Moses was born and was exceedingly fair and nourished up, in his father's house three months. This is significant because he only spent three months in his biological father's house. When I look at his life, he is then referred to not as the son of Pharaoh, but as the son of the daughter of Pharaoh. And somebody here today, Father's Day is a painful day for you because you said, I didn't really know my father. So today I bring you the story of a man who had a father, as we all do, but only was in the father's house for three months. And then because of situation and circumstance, he was thrust out of his father's house. But God had so arranged and purposed his life that there was a daughter, not a daughter of the Hebrews, but an Egyptian daughter of a Pharaoh whose heart was moved on by God to become affectionate toward him and brought him into her house because God's plan had a purpose to it. That though life may seem to hand you things that don't seem fair, if you live long enough and you stay right, you look back and see that God actually ordered your step every Step of the way, God's hand was on your life. He was raised up spending only three months, and then he was cast out. Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. In fact, he was trained in the finest schools in the most advanced nation in the world. 
He was a man that lived with luxury and wealth. He didn't have to worry about anything because everything that he needed was simply given to him. More wealth than one could imagine. Luxury that the common person could not enjoy. And he spent the first 40 years of his life learning the wisdom of the Egyptians. And the Bible said that he was mighty in words and deeds. I think it's significant because many of you feel like you've wasted this first season of your life. That you learned so many things out there that when you came to God you thought I missed a whole section of my life not knowing that God will actually use what you learned and he will take that in order for you to become a deliverer to your people that you cannot stay where you were and deliver your people out of Egypt but you can learn some things by, the vir by virtue of what you've gone through in life so that when it comes time for God's plan and purpose to be revealed in your life, that you could then communicate things to those that have already been, <laughs> to those that you can relate to and have already been through things that need someone that can see beyond where they're at in order to help them through. For Moses was actually a Hebrew who was raised in an Egyptian world. In fact, he was too Hebrew to totally enjoy the world of the Egyptians. And he was too Egyptian to just enjoy the world of the Hebrews. But there was something that stirred in his spirit that would not allow him to be totally raised in the Egyptian culture for it was God that was burning on the inside of him I believe a passion that would pull him out of Egypt and that would identify he would identify with the people of God and become a deliverer for his people and when he was 40 full 40 years old it came upon his heart to visit his brethren in Egypt and the story goes that when he did, he saw an Egyptian assaulting a Hebrew. And he slew the man and hid him in the sand. He, having left, came back the next day and saw two Hebrew brethren fighting. When he went to break up the fight, they said, will you slay us also? And he realized that what he had done was known. And it began the transition in his life that pulled him out of Egyptian luxury to becoming what he would then experience, to becoming a sheep herder on the backside of a desert, to becoming what Egyptians despised most, and that was those that worked with sheep. Moses had an assignment on his life, not only from God, but an assignment from the enemy, do you know the enemy has been doing this so long that he can identify those whose hand God is upon? And he will do everything he can to try to destroy and divert and try to detour you. And if you allow him to fulfill his purpose, you can no longer fulfill the destiny that God has for you. 
And so the struggle really began the first day that Moses was born. As I began to read his history, I found the king of Egypt spake unto the Hebrew midwives. In Exodus, the first chapter and verse 15. And when he spake to them, he said, When you do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and you see them upon the stools, if they have a son, I want you to kill him. And if they have a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king commanded and saved the men-child alive. When the king began to consult with them as to why there were these baby boys that had been born and not killed. They lied to the king because they feared God more than the king. And they said, these Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. You know, these Egyptian women, they take a little time during their birth, but when the Hebrew women get ready to have a baby, they have a baby before we can get there and even have the opportunity to get the child. And so in that season of assignment by the enemy, we find that a boy named Moses was born. He was a goodly child, and his mother hid him for three months. Read the story in Exodus chapter 2, that this woman, when she conceived, she saw that her son was goodly. One translation said he was a beautiful child. Another said he was a proper child. And when mama looked at that baby as any mother would do, she could not allow her son to be killed. Instead, she hid him for three months. And there's an interesting passage. As you read verses 2, 3, and 4, you will find that not only was he hidden in the first three months of his life. But the word says when he could be hidden no more, when she could no longer hide him as a child, that she then put him in a basket and trusted him to the river. Now this will preach all by itself right here because, because there is a time in your life where you can be hidden. There's a time where others hide you and they do everything they can to cover you. You're hidden away for a season. But then there's a time where you can be hidden no more. Because when the time comes for God's season to be revealed in your life, you can be hidden no more. And we have to entrust you to the river. We have to put you to the river. And I love what the scripture said. Because the next verse says that his sister put him in the river and then waited to see, to wit, to know what God would do to him. That there are times that we can hide you no more. I feel like I'm talking to somebody today. And we have to trust you to the river. There are times you can hide your children no more. And you got to release them and trust them to the river. But as a mother or a father, you're constantly, even though you've backed up, your eyes are looking to see what will be done for them. I may not have my hand right on you, but know that my prayers are right with you. I may have entrusted you to the river, but it's not just any river. It's a river on whose hand God has given guidance to. And I, I step back to see what God will do for you. 
Pharaoh's daughter came during that time, verse 5 through 10. She came to bathe with her servants, heard a noise in the reed in the marsh, looked to see the basket that commentators say was weaved after the fashion of riverboats, that it was weaved with the tar, and the mother obviously had seen that function and had secured something as best she could to hide her child. And this Pharaoh's daughter, who was a woman of elegance, perhaps, and great means, sent her servant, her maids, to get the basket. And when the basket was brought to her, the lid was removed from the basket, and the cries of a beautiful baby just began to fill the atmosphere. And the heart of this Pharaoh's daughter was knit to what her dad said, what the king said, must be killed. She was affectionate towards this child. I don't know if she could have children of her own or not, but she became the adopted daughter of Pharaoh. And it was all a part of God's plan. I can't imagine how painful that was for the mother of that child to see an Egyptian Pharaoh's daughter take her baby away. Quick thinking on behalf of his sister simply said, would you like for me to get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the child until he's mature? And so they took, she took her brother from the hand of that Pharaoh daughter and gave it back to the mother to be raised until the time that he would be delivered into the hand of Pharaoh's daughter for his training and for his development. I find that this Hebrew man was raised in the Egyptian world. The New Testament begins to clarify for us what was going on in the heart of Moses as he was raised. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24 says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused to allow them to refer to him according to their understanding of who he was. But instead, he chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. That he didn't look to the immediate reward of being the son of a Pharaoh's daughter. He didn't look to temporary riches or pleasure, but he chose to identify with the people of God. If it meant that he had to suffer, he would suffer with them. If it meant that he had to leave behind luxury, he would leave behind luxury. If it meant that he had to move from what was familiar, he would move from what was familiar in order that he may obtain the riches or the treasures that came from only heaven. Verse 27 says, by faith he forsook Egypt. And there are some people here today that you're trying to live the best of both worlds. You're trying to put one foot in the world and have one foot in the church. And it's just not working for you. You're going to have to make a decision. And you should make the decision today. 
You've been on the fence for so long, but you're not going to fulfill God's plan until you're willing to take your foot out of Egypt, which is a type of sin, and say, by faith, I'm going to leave what was familiar, a life of drugging, a life of crime, a life of promiscuity, a life of cheating, lying. Still, All of that may have been my old life, but that's Egypt, and that's not my new life. When I come to God, I can't put one foot in new life and one foot in the old life, but I've got to, by faith, leave. I've got to leave Egypt and just declare that I don't know how my finances are going to come. I don't know where my friendships are going to come. Everything that's been familiar to me for so long, I've had one foot in that. And that's why some people stay trapped because it's just easier to stay in what's familiar. But I come under the authority of the name of Jesus to tell you today that you can't stick with what's familiar if you want to move into the supernatural. If there's just one person here today that will say, by faith, I'm leaving Egypt behind. I'm going to lay it all down today and repent of my sins and be born again of water and spirit. When you pop one foot out of Egypt and you put both feet into that new life, you're going to find out that the riches of the kingdom are better than anything you could ever experience in the kingdoms of this world. No man having left mother, father, brother, sister, houses, or land is going to be left alone. But God will make sure that you're going to reap a hundredfold in this life and in the life to come. He's not just going to wait until you, new life, until you get to the other shore. But he's going to give you a family here today, right now. I shared with Brother Jonathan Allen a few weeks ago. Uh, an old vintage picture of my grandfather preaching on the streets of Fresno, California. It looked like it was in the 40s or 50s. And he's preaching on a street corner in a trench coat with a Bible in one hand. And his voice is raised and people are walking down the street. You can see the old cars on the street. And what stood out to me in the picture is nobody's listening. Nobody is listening. What the people that passed him by didn't know, that he wasn't a man of privilege. He was a man that was pushed. He was pushed from, he was pushed from one house to the next. As his mother passed when he was two, his father went to prison, and he was taken into one home to the next. He said he would be taken into a home, and these women would try to read his poem, and they would try to speak things over his life, and he'd wait till it was night, and he'd climb out the window, and he'd run away. And they'd catch him, and they'd put him in another home, and he'd run, run away from that home. He said he started running in the wrong crowd, and he started breaking into people's homes, and he went to prison and paid for all of that. That by the time he's preaching on a street corner, you understand that he's not preaching because of privilege. He's preaching because God had called him out of a dark world. And he didn't do it because he had a lot of family, a lot of training, or a lot of people that went with him. The same day that he died, his older brother died. And the other side of the family that lived about 45 minutes away, they had disinherited him because he had left the church that they were a part of when he received the Holy Ghost. And then he spent his life growing a family called the family of God. 
I sat in his funeral with probably more than 500 pastors, preachers, and friends who had gathered. My dad, at the end of that funeral, jumped in a car and drove to a graveside where his older brother Charles, who had died on the same day that he had without knowing the Lord, that family had about eight people at his graveside, and they had, ex they had uh, really just kind of, ex I want to say, excommunicated my grandfather as a result of his experience with God. What it told me was, number one, that God didn't allow his older brother to live one more day than he did. And number two, it told me that even if your family forsakes you for following truth, that God will give you a family that's bigger than you could ever dream or imagine. I'm speaking to somebody today that you've been toying with old family and friendships and you don't know how to handle it all. If you are faithful to God, I'm going to give you a little something. God will be faithful to you. And he'll add to you family and friends and houses and lands and everything you need. Because anyone that takes their foot out of Egypt and puts it in this new life and they become a son of God, then he'll make sure that everything is taken care of in their life. For this man named Moses had spent 40 years in Egypt. He had an uncommon life. He wasn't used to the commonness that his Hebrew brothers and sisters had had to experience. But at the age of 40, his life shifted. And in the middle of running as a fugitive for killing a man, he spent 40 more years in a very common life on the backside of a desert. Some years ago, and when I say years ago, maybe closer to 25 to 30 years ago, I stood on the platform as a full-time staff member of a major church in North America. I was a junior member of their staff. I was in training. I was a 20-something-year-old man. And I stood on that platform during a revival service. A prophet was there, and he preached an incredible message. In fact, the pastor told me I've never seen a man that could come into an environment like this. And he knew exactly what was happening with the church. As he preached down that aisle, I still know the man today, he turned and he walked up the aisle. And as he got closer to me, I had looked at him for an uncomfortably long time. And after all, he was a prophet and I was a junior minister. And I didn't know what the Lord might say through him. And he, as he got two or three feet from me, I looked down and he said, look at me. And I looked at him and he stuck his finger in my chest and began to speak to me. To say, you're not going to be known because of position, but you're going to be known for the things that happen outside of position. Prayer and what happens in a prayer room. And he began to speak to me not towards those things that encourage us but those spiritual things that undergird us that other people can't see. I remember falling down under a chair and praying. And I prayed, God, I don't care if you have to take me to where nobody knows my name. I'm on staff at a prestigious church in the circles that I run in, but if I got to go where nobody knows my name and be right with you, I would rather be right with you than be in position with man. And when God began to deal with my heart, 
It was the next season of my life. Exactly. That was exactly what happened. I went to a little city. It was actually a country town. Uh, uh, the town itself was surrounded by country. It was a small town, a place where the members of that church had not really, they had really no care about what happened at a large church somewhere else. I came in with a lot of ideas about how to grow this church and how to take them to the next level. And I still remember a dear old brother, he was an usher, as I stood trying to organize their services and get, and he said, well, son, we don't know how they did it where you came from, but we've been done doing it this way for 40 years. And I knew at that moment that my 20-something-year-old man had a long uphill battle to fight if I was going to come in and change because God did not put me in that season of my life for me to change others. But God actually put me in that place because he was changing me. And I learned things in that season of my life that will forever mark my life. One of the key things that I learned in that season, I learned faith. For God put me under a man that was a preacher of faith. And I still hear it come out in my conversation and ministry for years later. And so by faith, he forsook the past because he not fearing the wrath of the king. For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. When I look at this encounter with Moses that Moses had with God at a burning bush. In fact, I see that it was in fact a supernatural encounter. When I look at verses 1 through 6, they're highlighted to me because this encounter with God was one in which Moses was running from his past. But in running from his past, he ran into his purpose. Somebody's here today. And you've been running from some things. I remember an old preacher told me once, he said, he pastored in Florida. He said, you know, a lot of people come to Florida, they're running from something. Now, it's not all bad. Sometimes you're running from snow. It's, you know, you're, you're, you're running from a lot of things. But then sometimes you might really be running from something. And Moses was really running from something. He had killed a man. He was a fugitive. He needed a second chance. But in running from his past, God made sure that he bumped into his purpose. And look at what verse 3 says. Verse 3 of chapter 3 said, in fact, let me just begin at verse 1. Verse 1, I'll read again. When he kept the flock of his father-in-law with the sheep to the backside of the desert, Mount Horeb, which was Mount Sinai where the law was given, that the angel of the Lord appeared in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Now, some have said that in desert conditions that can get 120, 130 degrees, that it would not be uncommon at times to see plants or bushes that could erupt in a flame of fire. Spontaneous combustion. But what was different about this was though the bush caught on fire, the Bible said it could not be consumed. God was trying to give him a picture that what's happening here is supernatural. And, and look at what scripture says. Scripture said 
the bush was not consumed, and Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight while the, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, I don't want to just brush over that. Because he could have looked and he could have kept walking. But the Bible said he turned aside. God just attracted him with something that was uncommon enough for him to show up to see what was going on. Oh, you're here this morning. You heard about New Destiny. You heard that there were some crazy Pentecostals over at New Destiny that got happy when they sang, that the preacher who hollered and yelled and sweated, and that people actually believed that you could get healed from your sickness and you could receive the Holy Ghost just like you did in the book of Acts. And so you just turned aside to see. But as you're turning aside to see, <laughs> I love this. When the Lord saw, he didn't call Moses from the bush before he turned aside. You know that word turn has to do with repentance. When you turn from your old life, when you turn to see what God is doing, and you begin to look at what God is doing, then God, who sees your faith, then calls to you. And he called to him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. He said, Anthony, Anthony. Marty, Marty. I texted our father this morning. Because years ago, he had told me the story. He said when he was a little boy, he was playing in the backyard. And while he played, he heard an audible voice. And the audible voice said, Marty, when you get the Holy Ghost, I'm going to call you to preach. I texted him this morning. He said he was four years old. And he heard a voice say that in the backyard. He ran into the house to tell his mother because he saw no one in the yard. He said he was 14 years old before he received the Holy Ghost. Do you know, when I say the Holy Ghost, let me just clarify. When you receive the Holy Ghost as they did in the Bible, you'll speak in tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. I can't give it to you. Man can't teach you how to do it. It's not something that just ch chases you down if you don't want it. The gospel writer in Luke said that God gives it to those that ask him for it. And when you repent, when you turn aside from your old life to see what God would have for you, that when you turn and you repent, that God wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost. My father received the Holy Ghost at 14. But it wasn't in a big people service. He said he wanted to get it in a big people service. He actually got it in a children's church service. And he wasn't even a child. He said he had taken his little sisters to a children's service. And he was trying to be tough sitting in the back while the kids prayed. But while he sat in the back, he said something descended over him. And he began to weep and cry and pray until all of a sudden he was speaking in a heavenly language. You know what? 
the assignment that God put on my father's life at the age of four. He began something. It was a burning bush experience in a backyard that he along the way confirmed that 10 years later, some of you are so discouraged that two years later, you haven't seen the fulfillment of what God said to you two years ago. But when God says a thing, he is not a man that he should lie. He'll make sure that it comes to pass. It may not come to pass when you want it. It may not come to pass as soon as you want it. But if you stay in the hand of God, it will surely come to pass. And what God prophesied to you, it'll come to pass. All you got to do is keep your heart right and keep your mind right and say, God, what you have begun in me, be faithful to complete it. My father is 75 years old today. I FaceTimed him this week. He is in Washington taking care of a church. He said, I'm sitting in the pastor's home who's in Israel right now. And he said, I have three jobs while I'm here, son. One is to take care of the pastor's turtle. And he showed me a big tank with a turtle in it. He said the turtle hadn't been eaten. He said it has been drinking water and it's not eating the lettuce. He said I put the turtle down in the water and it's not eaten. He was worried about the turtle because he's just concerned that he don't want the turtle to be dead when the pastor gets back from Israel. He said... Secondly, I got to keep these plants alive. And he showed me some plants that were there and they had brown leaves at the bottom. I wanted to tell him, well, prune them up, Dad. But then I thought, you know what? He's 75. I'm just going to let him figure that out. Every time I ask him a question that he doesn't know the answer to, he almost always said, well, Google will tell you just about anything you need to know. So when my kids have one of those hard questions, I say, hold on just a minute. Let me Google it and see. <laughs> That's a little insider tip for you fathers here that are not real good with technology. And then he said, the third job I have while I'm here is to take care of the church. He said, which is probably the easiest out of the three. <laughs> Do you realize that God called him to preach more than 70 years ago? And somebody's in this room today, you're retired, and you think God's through with you. I'm telling you, when God puts a plan on your, an assignment on your life, I come to tell you about a man named Moses who had a divine encounter with God. And you know how old Moses was when he saw the burning bush? He was 80 years old. You're 30 years old, and you feel like your life is almost over. I've used up all my good years. The devil is a lie. You're just getting started. Anybody 80 years old in the house today? Anybody 80? I visited Elder Hughes last Sunday night. He told me September he'll be 90 years old. When I went to pray for him, I felt something come out of his spirit. He began to pray. And you were there. Wasn't that, that the, you could feel the Holy Ghost in that room. This man who was 90 years old, been married 60, almost 68 years to the same woman. And she's probably watching this morning. God bless you. This man has spent his whole life serving God. And God is not through with him yet. I've come today to tell you that you had some experiences with God Whatever the experience may be, don't let anything pull you off the experience. You hold on to what God said to you, how he said it to you, when he said it to you, and you stay in the plan of God because he called you to be a deliverer. 
He called you out of darkness and he's going to use you to bring some other people out of darkness. Woo! Give the Lord praise this morning. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But when he turned aside to see, then God called him. When he got in the place where God was at work, the voice of God began to speak to him. I believe that one of the reasons a lot of people are unsure about their walk with God is because they have, they have been hurriedly pushed along the assembly line of Christianity. That churches who quickly want to move them through the process have just handed them a prayer and say, say the prayer, hallelujah, go on, make sure you give a little money to the church and get involved. And they never have a divine encounter with God. I believe that God is going to, he's going to encounter some people in this church that your encounter is going to be so real that a man can't take it from you. If a man can talk you out of your experience with God, then I question if you've ever had an experience with God. If a man can talk you out of your faith in the only saving name, then I question whether you ever had a revelation of the only saving name. But when God puts it in your heart, it ought to get in there so deep that if none goes with me, still I will follow. Because I remember what I saw at the burning bush. I remember how I heard the call of God on my heart and life. And what I remember, I refuse to let go. I've told you before, you hold on to truth. That means if I or an angel from heaven preach to you any other thing than the truth, then you get your Bible and get your family and you get yourself to a place that preaches the same gospel that Paul preached, the same gospel that Peter preached, the same gospel that the apostles preached. You can't forget the call. Every person of significance in the Bible had an encounter with God. Paul encountered God on the road to Damascus. He thought he was working for God. And he, in that encounter, fell to the ground blinded by the light. Who art thou, Lord? The Lord said in Acts 9, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. He spent the rest of his life, having been filled with the Holy Ghost, teaching and preaching in the churches. Peter had an experience with God. He fished all night and didn't catch any fish. The Lord stopped by and said, cast your net to the other side. He really wasn't interested in him catching fish out of the sea. He was getting ready to train him to be a fisher of men and a preacher of Pentecost. Gideon had an experience in the wine press. He was shaken in his boots because the enemy was coming. But the angel of the Lord appeared to him and spoke into his life and said, You mighty man of valor. I love that because it's not always about what you think you are. God will show up and speak to what he knows he's called you to be. And some of you feel afraid and intimidated by what you have to face. But if you learn to trust God and you say, God, you who have begun a good work in me is faithful to complete it. And here's where I'll end today. In two, actually two things. Let me begin with this, verse 5. 
When God spoke to Moses out of the bush, he said, draw not nigh hither. Don't come over here. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place whereupon thy standest is holy ground. Somebody say, put off thy shoes. And I hope I don't have no holes in my socks. <laughs> I told my boys, I said, you know what? I'm at the age, if a sock get a hole in it, I throw it away. I'm not trying to save it for no rainy day. <laughs> you walk around with your big toe stuck out in a... <laughs> the expression, put off thy shoes or thy sandals was an act of reverence in that culture. The ancients were not permitted to enter a temple or a holy place with their shoes on. Now we haven't established that custom here. We need you to keep your shoes on. There's a few of you that we definitely need for you to <laughs> keep those shoes on. <laughs> but it was customary for the Jews to remove their shoes when they entered any house, get this, as a matter of respect. How many of you have those houses? If you invite me over to your house for dinner, how many of you have that custom that you have to take your shoes off at the door? Y'all can be honest here. If there's, I was just in Akron, Ohio for the birth of my, I got there right after my grandson was born. And I noticed one thing, we would be out, my son-in-law took us fishing. And when we got back, I don't, think he, I don't think he wanted to actually say everybody had to take their shoes off at the door. But I noticed that he would say to, some, to like Braden or one of my sons, he would say, hey, you want me to take your, shoe, your shoes? And he had... I think in his mind, a desire for us to take our shoes off so we wouldn't get mud on that floor that he had floored. He put, I was going to call it hardwood, but it's not hardwood. I, it's, a, it's a custom that many of them had that they would take their shoes off so that they would respect the environment that they were stepping into. And God spoke to him out of the bush and said, just like you would take your shoes off to enter the synagogue or a temple or a house, when you step into my house or into this atmosphere, I want you to respect. I want you to respect the atmosphere that you're in. You know shoes are an indicator of where you've been and where you're going. I experienced this one day in college. I was in Bible college, and I sat on the front row of chapel. And I remember I, as I was going to chapel, I made the decision to cut through the grass and then over to the chapel. But what I didn't realize is somebody had walked their dog. And now I know why they have laws that say when you walk a dog, you need to take a bag with you.
But I didn't know it, and I walked through the grass. You know where I'm talking about. And when I got to the front row of chapel, I remember you had to wear a, a tie and a jacket every day because we were studying for ministry. I sat down on the front row, and I remember looking down. There was about six guys to my right, and they all had blue blazers on and khaki pants. And then they all had their leg crossed like this. I just thought it was so, and I remember I was just sitting there, and I was like, I felt indignant because something smelled nasty. <laughs> Have y'all ever felt that? I, felt, I was like, in fact, I, I found myself, I was, I was like, who, like, I started looking, and I looked down at my shoe. I'm not going to tell you what was at the, on the bottom of my shoe. Had some grass and some, some sticking out. When I realized that the smell was not someone else, but it was me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Come on, be honest with me. Have you ever been standing in the need of prayer? Who is it? Oh Lord, it's me. Because your shoes are an indicator of where you've been. And if you don't expect the environment that you're going into, you'll take where you've been into that environment. Today, somebody's going to take their shoes off because you can't wear those shoes in this new environment. You're going to take those shoes off and God is going to put some shoes on you. Some shoes that are... How do I say this? That are proper for you to wear in this new season of life. I want to talk about some of the shoes that you got to take off when you get in the presence. lined up and I decided I couldn't preach that long today. Some of y'all need to take your running shoes off. Moses had them on. He was running as a fugitive when God intersected his life and he turned aside to see what God would say. And God said, take those running shoes off because you're in my presence now. Who is it today that has your running shoes off? Every time things get a little tough, you run. It gets a little tough in the home, you run. It gets a little tough on the job, you run. It gets a little tough in the church, you run. And God just sent this preacher by to just tell you, it's time for you to take your running shoes off and you stand in the presence of God because you're standing on holy ground. I really like these shoes, but sometimes you got to take off your flip-flop. You can't be flip-flopping in the kingdom. One day I believe this. Oh, somebody else has a teaching. I believe this. Somebody else, I believe this. The Lord said, you can't be flip-flopping in the kingdom. I need you to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He that hath begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. I went out in the shed. I like my shed. I got two sheds. You know why I have two sheds? Because one shed has a hole in the roof. 
probably either needs to be patched or torn down. So I got me another shed, and I put my old shoes in the shed. I'd like to put all these shoes in the house, but I can't put these in the house because they got dirt on them. And I can't muddy up the environment that we've worked so hard to keep clean by taking where I've been. So I got to leave that outside. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place today. Whether it's boots or shoes, it could be that what you've been wearing, you've stepped in something or been through something that ruined the shoes you had on your feet. But when you come to the Lord, he's going to take he's going to say to you take off your old shoes because the place you're standing is holy ground. I'm going to give you some I'm going to let your feet be shod with my shoes, the gospel of peace. I'm going to give you the kind of shoes that you can use to walk and your steps be ordered of the Lord. The psalmist said this and I close. I will lift up mine eyes to the hills from which cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil and shall preserve thy soul, shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time and forevermore. And I got to give one more verse to someone that's going through a little something. There's a very interesting verse in Deuteronomy 33 that when The Lord is speaking of, uh, and the writer is speaking of Asher. He said, let Asher be blessed with his children, acceptable to his brethren, and let him dip his foot in oil. Thy shoes shall be iron and brass. He said, I'm going to let his foot be dipped in oil, and his shoes be iron and brass. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. That I'm going to make sure that your steps are ordered by me and taken care of by me if you'll learn how to put off your past and step into my purpose. Because when I encounter a man, it's always for one divine purpose. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place today. Would you lift your hands up to the Lord? We are standing on the holy ground, and I know that there are angels all around. Let us. 
as she sings this again, would you stand to your feet all over this building and make this your supernatural encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ because I believe that every one of us in this place today has an assignment on our life right. I'm going to open this altar for prayer and I believe there will be many of you that will come and pray whether you kneel or stand you may want to stand right where you're at and lift your hand and your heart to the Lord Jesus but I believe we ought to just turn this room into a prayer room and let God place his call on our heart. I've been praying a prayer, especially over these young people lately, but I'd like to pray it over every person in this church. I've been praying over these young people. I say, God, would you call some of these young men and women to preach? Would you call them to declare the gospel? I believe that they, just like I, and just like my four-year-old father, and just like my grandfather in prison, they need their own encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. May our life not just be an encounter with Instagram and Facebook and a game and school, but may our life be an encounter with God so that when we encounter God, He can take the school and He can take everything else that we have and He can use us to be a deliverer from the people. And today I pray that you would have a burning bush experience. I'm going to give this call one more time. And if you feel God calling your heart, would you come and pray? Would you stand? Would you kneel? Would you call upon the Lord Jesus? I'm reaching for someone today that does not have the Holy Ghost. You do not have the Spirit of God. You've never spoken tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Today you can receive the gift of God. Have a divine encounter with the Lord Jesus. Who is it today that God? He's been speaking to your heart. He's been dealing with your heart. Who is it? Come on, lift your hands and your heart.
for them right now. Would you encourage them? When you get in the presence of the King, worship Him, praise Him. If you're here today, I don't want to end this service without giving you the opportunity to pray with some praying saints that will call on the name of Jesus with you. If you're here today and you desire that, I want you to come. If it's been a long time since you've been renewed in the Holy Ghost, I open this altar to you today and I say come today and be renewed by the power of the Spirit of God. If you feel the tongue, or the call of God on your life, and you don't know what to do with it, I just declare to you, would you come today and just say, Lord, I'm turning from my old world aside to see what you're doing in my life. One more time with our hands and hearts. 